But the first thing we spoke about is Al-Hazan. وَقَالُوا الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي أَذْهَبَ عَنَّا الْحَزَن إِنَّ رَبَّنَا لَغَفُونَ الشَّكُورَ They said, oh, praises to Allah who made this Hazan go away. And we said Hazan is grief over something. It's grief over something that happened in the past. So someone has got some trauma in their life and it's caused them to grieve over it, to be sad over what happened in the past. And Allah tells us in Jannah that there is no hazan. There is no uh, sadness, there is no trauma, there is no depression, there is no grief. So this is the first one the Quran tells us about. When this hazan becomes worse, it becomes huzan. Like Allah said, وَتَوَلَّا عَنْهُمْ وَقَالَ يَا أَسَفَا عَلَى يُوسُفِ وَبْيَضَّتْ عَيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْحُزْنِ فَهُوَ كَظِيمٌ Ya'qub turned away from them and he said, Oh my sorrow over Yusuf. And his eyes became blind from al-huzn فَهُوَ كَظِيمٌ And that shows you that issues relating to someone's mental health, it can actually cause a person physical illness. He became blind because of his grief over what happened to Yusuf. His eyes became blind because of grief. And he was concealing it. And this is the extreme grief that leads a person to physical illness. And from it is Al-Gham. And Allah said, فَاسْتَجَبْنَا لَهُ وَنَجَّيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْغَمِّ وَكَذَلِكَ نُنْجِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ We answered him. And we saved him from Al-Gham. They say Al-Gham, it is the uh, distress of a situation that is ongoing in your life. So this situation, Al-Hazan and Al-Huzan, it's gone, it happened. Yusuf is gone, finished. Yani it's happened in the past. Al-Gham is something which is still ongoing. It's a current emergency, a current matter of stress and distress. You're, you're stressed about the situation and you're panicking about the situation that you're in right now. Somebody has got money problems, somebody has got various difficulties that they're going through. But they're going through those difficulties right this minute, at this moment in time. They're going through these issues right now at this moment in time. So we call it Al-Gham. And again, Allah Azza wa Jal tells us that we will be saved from this distress and that we can be saved from this gham, this distress and this anxiety. We can be saved from it when we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What did Ya'qub call upon Allah with? La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min There is no God worthy of worship but you, O Allah, exalted are you. Indeed, I was from the wrongdoing people. I was from the people who did wrong. So, what we can take from this is that tawbah is a major way of addressing these issues. A major way of addressing our stress and our distress and our problems is tawbah, to come back to Allah, to repent to Allah. 
as is the famous proverb, it's not a hadith, but a famous statement, that no calamity ever befalls a person except because of their sin. Corruption has appeared on land and at sea because of what the hands of men have done. Your own hands have done. So they may taste some of what they have done and they may come back to Allah Azza wa With that being said and that being understood, so we now understood that tawbah and turning back to Allah Azza wa is a major means of relieving your sadness and your stress and your grief. And making dua to Allah is a major way of relieving your stress and your distress and your grief. فَنَادَى فِي الظُّلُمَاتِ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ سُبْحَانَكَ إِنِّي كُنْتُ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ فَاسْتَجَبَنَا لَهُ وَنَجَّيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْغَمْ وَكَذَلِكَ نُنْجِي الْمُؤْمِنِينَ So we answered him and we saved him from his distress and in this way we will save every single believer. Yani everyone who makes dua to Allah with that dua لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ سُبْحَانَكَ إِنِّي كُنْتُ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ Allah promises to save them from their distress. Allah tells us about al-ham. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-ham wal-hazan. O Allah, I seek refuge with you from al-ham. What is al-ham? Al-ham is anxiety over the future. So what did we say? Al-hazan is the past. You had a grief, a moment of grief, a moment of trauma. In the past, you can't get over it. It's just bouncing around in your mind. This we call al-hazan. If it starts to produce physical illness, we call it huzn. Then you get something which is still happening right now. I'm going through it today. I'm going through it right at this minute, this moment in time. We call it al-gham. And then there is panicking over the future and we call it al-ham. But one of the things I really, really like about this word is that this word is the same word for being busy with something. For example, you say, Hamma and he was given importance to something, he was preoccupied with it. Almost like you say, he intended it. So the thing which is bouncing around in your head and you are preoccupied by it, you can't think straight, you can't do your work because this thing is in your head. And it's something you expect it's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. And this anxiety over the future is something to seek refuge with Allah from. Yes, it's true. And here we can bring in a very important hadith. The hadith, any, there's some weakness in it. But the concept of the hadith is absolutely fine. It's mentioned in numerous ahadith, the concept. Whoever makes their hem one hem. They make their preoccupied, their worries, the things that they're worried about and preoccupied about. They make it one concern. What should it be? 
هم الآخرة هم المعاد the hem of the akhirah so a person tries to transfer their anxiety onto what onto the akhirah they try to transfer their anxiety by thinking about the akhirah because there's no doubt there's one thing that cures an anxiety and that is having a bigger problem to worry about so everybody tried that and you're worried about something and then a bigger problem comes along that other thing is very small now because you have something bigger to worry about. As a Muslim, you always have something bigger to worry about. And that is the Akhirah. Tayyib, you are sick. What, yani you are sick. What is that sickness in comparison to standing in front of Allah? You are scared. What is that fear in comparison to crossing the Sirat? You're in a state where you're poor. What is that? That poverty in comparison to being thrown into Jahannam. It's nothing. So when you get perspective, your anxiety decreases. You know, we see young kids, wallahi, panicking over their exams. Like stressed over their exams. And you know, I'm not going to pass my exam and my exam. And they're panicking over it. And wallahi, you will say to them, just if you could just see the two years after your exam, wallah, you wouldn't think about your exam at all. Because what comes is more stress. If you see what it's like, you know, when you have a family, you're married, you have kids, you have bills to pay, now it's more stress. But ultimately, the akhirah is more stress than all of that. I can't tell you what it's like. You know, I can't tell a 16-year-old kid that trust me, when you sit your A-level exams, these GCSEs are going to seem easy. And I can't say to someone doing A-levels, look, honestly, when you go to your you know, second year, third year of your degree, you're going to pray to Allah to bring you back to these A-level exams. But they don't understand it because I can't communicate. But I can communicate to them the severity and the hardship of the Akhirah. So a person says, look, I am worried about my exams. I'm not going to say you're not going to worry. These are natural things that happen. I'm not going to say you're not going to worry. You are going to worry. But I'm going to say that if your, you, your concern and your worry is guided towards and attached to the akhirah, the worries you have in this dunya are going to be relatively smaller and easier to manage. Because you realize that this dunya doesn't really have any value in of itself. Its value is in earning the akhirah. As for the dunya itself, it doesn't have a value in of itself. Its only benefit and its only value is earning the akhirah. So a person says, you know, at the end of the day, whatever happens to me in this dunya, poverty, sickness, you know, calamities, loss of family and friends, whatever happens to me in this life, ultimately, everything is going to go back to how it should be in the Akhirah. And I'm going to stand in front of Allah. So I'm going to make my hem, the thing that keeps me awake at night, and the thing that panics me and worries me, I'm not going to make it my exams, I'm not going to make it my rent, I'm not going to make it my family, I'm not going to make it my kids, I'm going to make it the Akhirah. Then those other humum, they're going to seem to be very small. But if you allow yourself to drown in anxiety of all the things in the dunya, Allah will not care which valley you die in. 
And Allah will not care which one of these humum will kill you. Maybe some people will die because of the worry for exams. Some people will die because of worry over money. Some people will die because of worry over their kids and stress over their kids. Some people will die over their reputation. Allah does not care which one of these things destroys you if you're not concerned about the Akhirah. But if you're concerned about the Akhirah, Allah will take care of your dunya. Allah will take care of your worries. Yes, you'll have them. Everybody has them. You will not escape Al-Gham, Wal-Hazan, Wal-Humum. You will not get out of these, these sadness and difficulties and worries and stress. What's the evidence? The statement of Allah Azawajal, We created mankind in a state of suffering, toil, kabad, hard work and suffering. That's your life in this dunya. Kabad. Whatever money you have, you are not going to get out of that statement of Allah. We created mankind in a state of toil and suffering and hardship. So that being the case, you are going to suffer. But ultimately, if your concern is the akhirah, your suffering in the dunya becomes manageable. Because what, what are you going to do to me? Like the magician said to Fir'aun, فَقْضِ مَا أَنْتَ إِنَّمَا هَذِهِ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Do whatever you want. You're going to cut our hands, you're going to cut our legs. Cut whatever you want. Because the only thing you can do to me is this dunya. That's it. You can't do anything to me in the Akhirah. So Fir'aun was threatening them. لَأُصَلِّبَنَّكُمْ فِي جُذُوعِ النَّخْرِ I'm going to crucify you on the date palm trees. He was threatening them. I'm going to nail you to the date palm trees. I'm going to crucify you to the date palm trees. And you're going to know which of us is... Which one of us is the worst in punishment and which one's punishment is going to last? But they are thinking, look, whatever you're going to do to me, Ya Fir'aun, it's in this dunya. You cannot do anything to me in the akhirah. If I disobey Allah, Allah's punishment is forever. Allah's hellfire is forever for those who disbelieve. As for the Muslims, they will not be in the hellfire forever. But Allah's hellfire is forever for those who disbelieve. As for whatever you're going to do to me, Fir'aun, in this dunya, do whatever you can do, because whatever you're going to do to me, it is this dunya only. It's only this dunya. And if a person's ham reaches an extreme level, it might even reach the level of al-yats, despair. Like the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, that he said from Yaqub, when Yaqub said to his children, وَلَا تَيْأَسُوا مِنْ رَوْحِ اللَّهِ إِنَّهُ لَا يَيْأَسُوا مِنْ رَوْحِ اللَّهِ إِلَّا الْقَوْمُ الْكَافِرُونَ Don't despair of Allah's relief. Nobody despairs of relief from Allah except for the disbelieving people. So a Muslim, however much you're suffering, however much you're going through hardships, however stressed you are, However confused you are, you should never despair that Allah is going to bring you relief. And from the descriptions that Allah Azza wa talks about in the realm of what we would today call mental health is diqus sadr. 
your chest being compressed, feeling like you can't breathe, like someone is squeezing your chest. Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَلَقَدْ وَلَقَدْ نَعْلَمُ أَنَّكَ يَضِيقُ صَدْرُكَ بِمَا يَقُولُونَ We certainly know that your chest is squeezed and compressed because of what they say. And Allah Azza wa Jal said, فَمَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ أَنْ يَهْدِيَهُ يَشْرَحْ صَدْرَهُ لِلْإِسْلَامِ وَمَنْ يُرِدَ أَنْ يُضِلَّهُ يَجْعَلْ صَدْرَهُ طَيِّقًا حَرَجًا كَأَنَّمَا يَصَّعَّدُ فِي السَّمَاءِ كَذَلِكَ يَجْعَلُ اللَّهُ الرِّجَسَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Whoever Allah wants to guide them, He opens up their chest to Islam. Look at how Islam is described. What is Islam described as? Inshirah al-Sadr. Your chest becomes open. Alam nashrah laka sadrak. Didn't we open up your chest? What does it mean? Inshirah al-Sadr. It's like you can breathe. It's like someone took the pressure off you. Like something very hard, like a big stone was on your chest. And then the, the stone was lifted and it's like your chest opens up and you can breathe. And this diqus sadr, it's like somebody placing a big heavy rock upon your chest. And you feel the weight and the burden of your sadness, your anxiety, your worries, your stress. Like you can't breathe, like someone is compressing your chest and you can't breathe. Allah says, whoever Allah wants to guide, he opens up his chest for Islam. And whoever Allah wants to misguide, He makes His chest tight and compressed. As though He was being propelled through the sky. This is powerful. What happens when you're propelled through the sky? Like for example in a rocket astronaut or a fighter pilot, when they go very very fast upwards in the sky, they get what? G-force, right? The force of gravity crushes their body and crushes their chests. The astronaut who goes in the rocket or the fighter pilot when they, drive the, when they fly the plane upwards, they get extreme, extreme pressure in their chest. Look at the miracle. This is a miracle of the Qur'an. That Allah describes this pressure in the time that the Qur'an was revealed. And the word used is not, there's no other word for it. He didn't say, Yas'adu means to climb up, like he's climbing up in the sky. Because when you climb in a plane, or when you climb up a flight of stairs, you don't feel that pressure. When do you feel it? Like you're being propelled at high speed through the heavens. That's the feeling of somebody crushing your chest. That feeling of crushing your chest, it comes to people. It comes to people... Sometimes it comes to people because of misguidance. And other times it comes to people because of sadness. And that's what Allah said, We know, O Muhammad, that you feel this pressure in your chest because of what these people are saying about you. They're saying, they're calling him names, they're calling him Sha'ir, Kahin, Sahir. They're calling him a poet and a magician and a fortune teller. They're saying that he's, that he's taking this from Ahlul Kitab. And the Prophet feels like his chest is being squeezed because of what these people are saying about him. What did Allah Azza wa give as the cure to this? This is important. Because when we describe, we talk about the, the sickness, 
So we must also talk about the cure. So we talked about the sickness in the sense that the Prophet ﷺ felt like his chest was being compressed. What did Allah give him as the solution to feel better? فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَكُمْ مِنَ السَّاجِدِينَ وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ Glorify with the praise of your Lord and be from those people who make sajda. Does that not tell us that by saying subhanallah and alhamdulillah and the adhkar, you can bring relief to your chest? And does that not tell us by worshipping Allah, wa'bud rabbaka, and continuing to worship Allah, you can find relief. And you find relief through sujood. Do you not think here about what the Prophet said to Bilal? He used to say to Bilal, to give the adhan or to give the iqama, you need to give the adhan for the prayer. Give us relief in our prayer. And he make our prayer a reason for us to feel a raha, to feel relaxed and to feel relief. So each of these ayat that are mentioning this distress and each of them is giving us an answer. We heard the dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan. This dua in itself is one of the most powerful tools against depression, sadness, grief, anxiety, trauma, worry. So you're making dua. You are praying. You're making sajda. You're saying subhanallah and alhamdulillah and you're doing your adhkar. You're asking Allah's forgiveness. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-dhalimeen. And you continue to worship Allah. Until that which is certain, i.e. death, comes to you. And Allah Azzawajal mentioned, Al-Asaf. Al-Asaf. And we mentioned this in the ayah in Surah uh, Yusuf. وَتَوَلَّ عَنْهُمْ وَقَالَ يَا أَسَفَ عَلَى Yusuf. He turned away from them and he said, يَا أَسَفَ عَلَى Yusuf. It's a sorrow, right? He said, how I feel such sorrow over Yusuf. And Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentioned Faraghul Qalb. What is Faraghul Qalb? It's your heart just feels empty. And these are feelings people can identify with. There's no, no description that is more beautiful than this description. That your heart feels empty. Like it feels like you don't have any emotions, you feel numb, your heart feels empty. Allah said, The heart of the mother of Musa felt empty. Like it was, it's like an empty heart. إِنْ كَادَتْ لَتُبْدِي بِهِ لَوْلَا أَنْ رَبَطْنَا عَلَى قَلْبِهَا she was about to inform the people of Fir'aun what she did with Musa if it wasn't that we tied her heart. And we made her heart strong. We tied it, made it firm. So that she would be from the believers.
The Prophet ﷺ, we mentioned that he, he experienced these feelings in his life. And Allah said, Perhaps, O Muhammad وسلم, you would kill yourself out of grief that these people would not be believers. So even the messengers went through stages of sadness and sorrow. But Allah made them firm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them strong. Look, Allah said about the mother of Musa, she was about to tell what happened to Musa, but Allah made her heart firm. Allah made her heart strong. And the Prophet ﷺ, if it wasn't for the fact that Allah made him strong, he would have wanted to have killed himself. Because these people would not believe. But Allah made him strong. So seeking strength from Allah, and turning to Allah and looking at the cures that are mentioned in the Quran, like the statement of Ibn al-Qayyim. This is very, very, very powerful and very important. A lot of people, what happens to them is that they actually neglect the Quran in dealing with these issues. So what they do is they give a lot of attention to the medical world and I'm taking medication, I've been to the doctor and I go to the psychiatrist and I'm going for counseling. But a lot of time they neglect, and I'm not saying those are bad things, but a lot of time they neglect the Quran. The Quran that mentions depression, grief, trauma, sadness, feelings of suicide, all of these are mentioned in the Quran. And the Qur'an gives answers to each and every one. But like Ibn al-Qayyim said, وَمَا كُلُّ أَحَدٍ يُؤَهَّلُ وَلَا يُوَفَّقُ لِلْإِسْتِشْفَاءِ بِهِ Not everyone is able to actually look at the Qur'an and find that solution or able to be able to use it. So what are some of the ways the Qur'an gives us to deal with depression and sadness? Inshallah we take about any five more minutes, we still have to talk about Uswas as well. The first one, Allah Azza wa gives us knowledge. And from this is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّمَا أَشْكُوا بَثِّ وَحُزْنِ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَأَعْلَمُ مِنَ اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ What is it that brought Ya'qub through his depression and sadness? I know from Allah what you don't know. And Allah said, Whoever has taqwa of Allah, Allah will make him a way out. And taqwa means doing what you can to obey Allah and whatever you can to avoid disobeying Allah. And if you do that, Allah promises you, Allah is going to make for you a way out of your problem. We talked about remembering the hereafter and we talked about dua and from the most powerful of dua for overcoming issues of the mind and emotions is this dua Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan wal-ajzi wal-kasal wal-jubni wal-bukhl wa-dala'iddayni wa-ghalabati'l-rijal O Allah, I ask you to protect me from anxiety and grief and from helplessness and laziness.
and from cowardice and stinginess and from being heavily in debt or overpowered by men. Some of the scholars, they said, this dua, it covers every single thing that could go wrong in someone's life. Either you're worried about something that hasn't happened or you're depressed about something that's already happened or you are ajiz, you're incapable of dealing with a problem or you are kaslan and you have a problem, you can deal with it but you're not dealing with it properly. Or you have cowardice, you're, too, you're not brave enough to tackle the issue or you're stingy and you're not willing to give what is needed or you have a debt that you cannot pay back or you have someone who is bullying you or who is causing problems for you. Someone is overpowering you or attacking you or bullying you. This is every problem that can go on in someone's life is in this dua. And from them is the dua, Allahumma inni abduk wa abnu abdik ibnu amatik nasiyati biyadik maadin fiya hukmuk adalun fiya qadauk أسألك بكل اسم هو لك سميت به نفسك أو أنزلته في كتابك أو علمته أحدا من خلقك أو استأثرت به في العلم الغيب عندك أن تجعل القرآن ربيع قلبي ونور صدري وجلاء حزني وذهاب همي Oh Allah, I am your slave, the son of your slave, the son of your female slave. My forelock is in your hand. Your command over me is always executed and your decree for me is always just. I ask you by every name that is yours, the name you named yourself with or revealed in your book or taught to any one of your slaves or preserved in the knowledge of the unseen with you that you make the Qur'an the light of my heart. That you make the Qur'an the, the, the life of my heart or the spring of my heart and you make it the light of my chest. And you make it the reason for my sorrow to go away and you make it the release of my anxiety. And from this we can take that reading the Qur'an and reciting it causes a person's distress and worry to go away. And also the dua, Allahumma rahmataka arju fala takilni ila nafsi tarfata ayn wa aslih li sha'ni kullah la ilaha illa ant. Oh Allah, it is your mercy that I hope for. So do not leave me to myself for the blink of an eye. Correct all of my affairs for me. There is no God worthy of worship except you. And from this is the statement, Allah is enough for us and one excellent disposer of affairs. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, he said, Ibrahim alayhi salam said it when he was thrown into the fire. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam said it on the day when Allah said, on the day of Al-Ahzab, when all the confederates came, the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, when he saw all the armies that had gathered against the Muslims, he said, From the means to combat it is patience. The Prophet وسلم, said, عَجَبًا لِأَمْرِ الْمُؤْمِنِ إِنَّ أَمْرَهُ كُلَّهُ خَيْرٌ وَلَيْسَ ذَاكَ لِأَحَدٍ إِلَّا لِلْمُؤْمِنِ وَلَيْسَ ذَاكَ لِأَحَدٍ إِلَّا لِلْمُؤْمِنِ إِنْ أَصَابَتْهُ سَرَّاءُ شَكَرٍ فَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُ وَإِنْ أَصَابَتْهُ ضَرَّاءُ صَبَرٍ فَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُ How amazing is the situation of the believer? His situation is completely good. And this is only for the believer. 
if he is touched by affliction, he's grateful. If he's touched by good, he's grateful and this is better for him. And if he's touched by an affliction, he's patient and this is better for him. Also, this contains what? Belief in Qadr. Allah said, Whoever believes in Allah's decree, because yu'min billah here means bi qadrillah. Whoever believes in Allah's decree, Allah will settle his heart. Allah will make his heart satisfied. His situation will, he'll calm down. His heart will become guided. His heart will become settled if he believes in Allah's decree. Recognizing your blessings, the Prophet said, He said, look at those who are below you and don't look at those who are above you. For it's more likely that you will not reject the blessings of Allah upon you. Remember the stories of those who came before. The, the stories of Ayyub and his dua, the story of Yusuf, the story of Yaqub and his dua, the story of Yunus and his dua, alayhimu salatu wassalam. What was the dua of Ayyub? Anni masani al-dur wa anta arhamur rahimin. I've been touched by affliction and you are the most merciful of those who show mercy. What was the dua of Yunus? La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimin. Don't second guess yourself as well. Don't say, if only I did this, I wouldn't have done that. And if only I could have done this, I wouldn't have done that. In the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, If you've been afflicted by something, don't say that if it was like this, it would have been like that. If only I could have done this, I would have done that. But say it was Allah's decree and he does what he wants. For if only opens up the door to the work of the shaitan. Think about the relief of paradise. Think about how it's going to be in paradise. They said, Alhamdulillah, who made this sadness go away from us. And that's why Imam Ahmed was asked, Mata yajidul abdu When will a person really get relief from this world? When will someone really taste what it's like to rest? He said, He said, when you put your first foot in paradise, that's when you're going to feel rest. And don't and don't let your feelings or your sicknesses stop you from doing good deeds. Some people, when they're afflicted by a calamity, they start falling into haram. They start looking for haram, willing to earn haram, saying things that are haram. Instead, a person should be patient. They should have trust in Allah. They should remain firm upon Islam and they should believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make for them a way out and that the end result will be for the people of taqwa.
and that what has happened happens because of our sins. So they remain patient, they remember the promise of Allah is true, they seek forgiveness for their sins. And a person praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the morning and the evening. They don't get angry, they don't say bad words about Allah, they don't get frustrated and say, why is this happening to me? Seeking Allah's help through patience and prayer and recitation of the Quran. Ya or you who believe seek help from Allah through patience and prayer. Indeed, Allah is with those who are patient. And a person seeking help through the recitation of the Quran, asking for forgiveness for their sins, and worshipping Allah Azza wa Jal consistently. So that deals with a, an overview. Allah, it doesn't have time to even go into specific sicknesses and their issues and how to deal with them. But we do have a lot of people who are afflicted by what we would call wiswas, the whispering of the shaitan. And Allah tells us about this in Surah An-Nas. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ إِلَهِ النَّاسِ مِنْ شَرِّ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ From the evil of Al-Waswas. Al-Waswas is the one who whispers, right? Al-Khannas is the one who withdraws. And he whispers and then runs away. He doesn't whisper to your ear. Because when someone whispers to your ear, you hear them. He whispers into your chest. It's subtle, right? You just you feel the effects of it. He whispers into the chest. Now I've got a full video on the issue of wiswas and how to overcome it. But I just want to give someone, if someone asks me, Give me one single thing I can do to remove the wiswas of the shaitan. I'm going to give you just a few simple points. The first is that the greatest, I believe, benefit in terms of keeping away from the wiswas of the shaitan is the statement of Allah Indeed, those people who are touched by an affliction from the shaitan, a feeling, an impulse, anger, confusion, worry, tadakkaru, they remember. What do they remember? Number one, they remember Allah. And number two, they remember that this is from the shaitan. So let's say someone says, I've got a problem of OCD, I'm just washing my hands again and again and again, and I'm, you know, the person's in the shower for hours, the person doesn't, feels everything is unclean, and so on. We say, first of all, when you feel this feeling, remember this feeling is coming to you from the shaitan. Don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about being medical or non-medical. I'm not talking about being mess or being... Uh, a medical issue I'm saying shaitan is making it worse Yes or no? Shaitan is making it worse Shaitan is the one who is fueling it Because he wants you to ruin your prayer and your ibadah So you spend five hours making wudu You miss all of your prayers And then you maybe don't even pray after that Shaitan wants you to do that So shaitan is making it worse Remember this is from shaitan When you see yourself washing your hands for the tenth time Tadakkaru Remember that this is from shaitan. And when you remember it's from shaitan, you behave differently. 
Because when you think it's from you, you keep going and you're stressing about it, you're worrying about it. When you remember it's from the shaitan, straight away, automatically now you have an advantage. Yeah, this, is from, this is from the shaitan. This is not from me. This constantly feeling unclean, constantly being in the bathroom, constantly washing myself, not liking the way my room is, feeling everything is not right. This is from shaitan. So the person read, it's not me. This is shaitan. And the person remembers Allah. They remember Allah. So they ask Allah to keep them safe. They say, Subhanallah, Allahu Akbar, A'udhu Billahi min shaitanir rajeem, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. These words cause the shaitan to go away. Whatever they say, Astaghfirullah, La ilaha illallah, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. These words they're saying are making the shaitan go away. But there is a third thing mentioned in the ayah that people don't really pay attention to. Allah said, The people of taqwa. That means that you can't just achieve this by just, you know, disobeying Allah and doing haram and then say, why am I not getting cured from it? You must try your best to obey Allah. Try your best to make your wudu properly. Try your best to keep away from what is haram as much as you can to the best of your ability and then remember this is from shaitan and remember Allah. And if you do this, inshaAllah ta'ala, you will find relief from this problem. One more single piece of advice because I know we're running late. And my single piece of advice is if you feel a lot of doubt, what do we say to most people when they feel doubt about something? We say build upon what is certain, right? Yeah? We say uh, the issue of uh, certainty is not removed by doubt. Right? Certainty is not removed by doubt. The problem is for someone who is suffering from wiswas, they have no certainty in anything. They, they don't even certain in the one time they wash their hands. And so they say, my, I don't think I've done it. And they do it again. I'm still not certain and they do it again. I still don't think I did it and they do it again. In this case, you need a different approach. Your approach here should be, لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها. Allah doesn't burden a person with more than they can bear. So do your wudu three, the three washes, and that's it. Don't say that I washed it, I don't think I've done it, yaqeen, I don't have yaqeen. If you suffer from extreme wiswas and OCD-like symptoms, do not do it more than the number of times mentioned in the sunnah, and say, la yukallifullahu nafsan illa wus'aha. Allah doesn't burden a person with more than they can bear. Allah told me three times, I did it three times, khalas, done. And if you still feel doubtful, ask someone else to watch you. Don't trust your own judgment. Because sometimes the first thing, like the poet said, the first thing that transgresses against you is your judgment. The first thing that transgresses against you is your judgment. So let someone else look at what you're doing. Tell him, Akhi, look, wallah, I'm having a little bit of issues with my wudu. Just watch me wake wudu. If you see me make a mistake, tell me. The person comes and says, your wudu is fine. Oh, that's it. Go pray. 
Don't say my wudu. Person is praying, you know, 10 raka'at every prayer. They keep standing, no, I haven't done it. First of all, only do what is not a burden. You do it your four time and that's it. Your four raka'at, that's it. But if a person still is struggling, have someone pray with you. Pray in the jama'ah or pray and let someone observe you and say to you, if you missed a raka'at, they will say to you. Otherwise, you know that your salah is complete. Once you remember it's from the shaitan and you change your mentality and you remember Allah and you try these small things, slowly but surely the situation does get better for a lot of people. There are some people who have genuine difficulties beyond that and most of those difficulties can be treated with ruqya and prophetic medicine, inshaAllah ta'ala. That is a topic for a whole nother day. And that is what Allah made easy for me to mention in this. Again, I've spoken about these in more detail. I've got a video on Waswasa, I've got a video on uh, depression. I've got, but it's just like a, you know, a few points of benefit and a summary just for people to kind of remind themselves about and just to inshallah think about bi'idnillahi ta'ala. Hada wallahu a'lam wa salatu wa salam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. We have Q&A time or not time? What time is the adhan for Asr? Uh, the adhan is... No, leave it. Four twenty-five. So we have any ten minutes. Okay, ten minutes for Q and A. Okay. Ideally, on the topic would be very good because uh, I keep it on the same live stream, so it would be good. But it doesn't have to be on the topic. Okay. Jazakallah khair. My question is more for those people who might have someone around them. Uh, my question is about those people who might have someone around them who's suffering from maybe depression or other mental health problems, maybe a family member, or they might actually be a medical professional who's dealing with patients with uh, mental health issues. Um, so yeah, my question is, uh, is there any advice you could share to someone in that situation? So advice for someone who is dealing with someone at maybe at home, a friend, a neighbor, a family member who's suffering from mental health issues or someone in a medical uh, context. In reality, the hardest one is the second one because medical ethics somewhat prevent a person from involving their religion in a person's cure. But I believe the best you can do if you are a doctor, a pharmacist or uh, you know, a, a, a nurse or whatever it is, any someone in the medical profession, and a Muslim comes to you to ask you for with regard to these medical issues. Of course, Muslim and non-Muslim, you give them your best advice in terms of medical, medical advice, medicines or medical treatments or things like that. But if it's a Muslim and if you're able, you know better your profession, you know what you're able to say or not to say. But if you're able to say to them. You know, just don't forget 
even it, just don't forget about you know your dua, your adhkar, your reading of the Quran, and so on. Some people you can say it to, some you can't, even Muslims, because you know, some people you'll come and say, Look, you know, don't forget about your dua, they'll go straight to the practice manager and complain, you know, like that. I can't believe this guy told me to make dua, I came to him for tablets, not dua. But if you feel the ability to say, Look, can I give you some advice just between you and me? Don't forget about your dua, don't forget about your adhkar, don't forget about making tawbah, don't forget about reading the Quran. But it's very hard in a medical setting because medical ethics somewhat prevent you from that having that full discussion with people. As for uh, the situation of someone supporting someone, this is easier because now you have the ability to actually advise them and bring them to what is best. And one of the beautiful things is Islam doesn't prevent a medical intervention. Like Islam doesn't say you can't take tablets, you can't uh, go to the doctor, you can't see a psychiatrist. But Islam tells you that, look, don't ignore the fact that Allah has given you a whole set of tools that are outside of conventional medicine. And how amazing is that? That I don't just have to take tablets. How many people are complaining about well, take these tablets? I have side effects. I'm, it's horrible for me. It's a nightmare. I, don't, I wish I could get off it. We don't say stop taking them. But we say, why don't you start treating yourself with the Quran and the adhkar and the dua and then see with your doctor if it's possible to reduce or even eliminate the use of your tablets over time. And wallah, I've tried this personally with many, many patients. Wallah, many. A number, I can't even bring you the number, of people that were taking various medications and things, and they were not happy. It wasn't like they were taking them, they said, I'm, I'm happy. I'm side effects, I'm suffering, I wish I don't have to take it. So, okay, why don't we do this? I can't tell you to stop them, because they could be dangerous if you stop them. But I can just advise you some Islamic treatments, and then with your doctor, you can work on reducing the medicine, or even getting rid of it completely. And maybe you can try and we give them all the solutions and the different issues and dua and the adhkar and ruqya and prophetic medicine and you know all of these different things tawbah and the person is doing alhamdulillah you see the person slowly surely getting off the medication to the point they might stop the medication completely they might even stop medication their doctor told them you can never in your life you're never going to get off it and they stop it completely we have people with things like bipolar things with uh, things like uh, you know, schizophrenia, uh, severe depression, all different kinds of issues who actually come off of their medication or reduce it down to a much lower level just by supporting their treatment through ruqya and dua and so on. And that's amazing. So I would say encourage them and show them that, look, you know, you're panicking over all these different, different things. But actually, subhanAllah, there's some treatments you could do that have no side effects. Just try these few things and just give them hope in Allah. Allah will cure you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to make a way out for you. It's easy for you. Don't worry, inshallah, we're going to do it together. So support them by guiding them in doing those things. Sometimes, for example, a person knows they should do ruqya, but they don't do it. Why? Because they're struggling to find the time, how to organize it, how to, you know, how do I do it? So sometimes they just need someone to kind of be like a mentor for them or like a buddy for them. Like, okay, come on, it's Rukia time now. We do an hour, we see how you feel, and so on. And we've also tried that, you know, I've tried that with some brothers. I've been like a, you know, a companion for them. And sometimes just about being there for someone. You should never ever, you know, all of the things we talk about treatments, but you should never discount 
from the concept of just being around for someone. You know, subhanAllah, we have people, a lot of people come to my masjid who really do have really quite difficult mental health issues. Any brothers struggling with different problems and, you know, different issues they're going through. And some of them are diagnosed with quite severe uh, illnesses that they, are, that they have. And wallah, sometimes, you know, all the brother needs is just good friends, people to be around and say, look, come on. We take you to the hospital or the doctor or we'll help you with your medication or we'll, you know, give you some hope or we'll just be around you and just have husn al-suhbah and just a good companion around you, someone to just make you smile and, you know, and sometimes people feel, especially with mental health issues, they feel very stigmatized and they feel like people are looking at them, they feel like people are making fun of them. They feel like people look down on them because maybe their interactions are not as polished as some people, like the way they might deal with you or they may they might talk or they might say things that are out of turn. So they feel very stigmatized. They feel very scared to come into the masjid. What if the brothers say about me something or what if, you know, some brothers have side effects from their medication and they're frightened of what people will think. So just providing a, a safe space for people to come into the masjid. Don't worry about it. We're here for you. Inshallah, we're all your brothers. We, we know you're, you've got some, some difficulties right now. It doesn't matter. Don't even think about it. That in itself can go such a long way. Wallahu fi al abd ma al abdu fi akhi. Allah will be with a person as much as they are, they help their brother. Allah will help them as much as they help their brother. And Allah is knows best. There are many things, but just any points. Uh, shall we do the adhan? Then after the adhan, we have how long until jama'ah? So yeah, we can do the adhan and uh, then inshallah what we can do is we can continue with the Q&A. So let's uh, have our mu'adhin. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah
just as a side benefit, uh, there's a hadith narrated by Bukhari and Muslim. Just to show you that, like, some of the, the things that Islam provides to somebody that maybe people never thought of before. The Prophet ﷺ talked about a talbina. Talbina is um, it's barley, it's like a barley flour, something like that. I'll find the name of it one second so I don't get it wrong. It's just called talbina. Everyone knows it by the name talbina. But it's called barley flour. Yeah, it's a barley flour porridge. The Prophet ﷺ said about it, he said, At-Talbina. He said, At-Talbina. Mujimmatun li fu'ad al-marid. Tadhhabu bi ba'd al-huzn. He said, Talbina gives comfort to the aggrieved heart. And it lessens grief. And it takes away sadness from a person. Yani. So it, it comforts a heart of a sick person and it makes certain sadnesses and grief go away. It's just one example of prophetic medicine or one example of things that people don't realize what Islam can give you. And we know the Prophet Sallallahu he said, Tadaw wala tadaw bil haram aw kamaqal, seek a cure or a medicine, but don't use the medicine which is haram. Why do I mention that? Because I saw a lot of people Sometimes, for example, let's just say someone goes to a counsellor. Counsellor, psychiatrist, but, but often not so much a psychiatrist, often a counsellor. And the counsellor tells them to do something haram. This happens. I know people right now who are going through counselling for various different issues, mental health issues. And those people, their counselling they're going through, their counsellor regular te regularly tells them to do things that are haram. Not like as in, or oh, go and do haram, you know, do as much haram. But they tell something as a solution that is haram. For example, the guy says, look, I'm feeling really lonely and it's a trigger for me. You know, I get worse and I start having anxiety because of the loneliness. Oh, you should go out and meet a girl, you know, you should have a relationship, get yourself a girlfriend. So the counselor doesn't know because the counselor might not even be Muslim or might not be a practicing Muslim. So they don't have the ability to tell you what is right and wrong. So be careful that whatever information you're given, you don't follow something that is haram. And this is something I've experienced recently. I've been working recently, a couple of times I've been to hospitals. One time a consultant psychiatrist invited me to a hospital for Rukia for a patient. The family requested it. And I've been dealing with a case recently where I've been going, accompanying someone who's going to hospital through these, the various sort of like the mental health side of things. And I found this issue. That it is true that people, sometimes their doctor or the counsellor will tell you to do something that's not allowed in Islam. So be careful about that also, based upon uh, the hadith, take a medicine, but don't take a medicine that is haram. Uh, Tayyip, any more questions we had? Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum. What advice would you give in terms of what the, what the religion says about physical fitness? You know why I'm smiling? Because I'm thinking of the statement of Allah How am I going to answer this question without being a hypocrite? Wallahi, I advise myself. The only thing I can say is nasiha li nafsi wa lakum. For me and for you. 
that wallahi, we have to take care of our physical health. And I'm not even just going to say physical health as a preventative issue, but wallahi, even as a means of seeking a cure from Allah, from among the best things, and I work regularly with people who have uh, all different kinds of mental health issues, like severe conditions and less severe conditions. And I don't know any of them that doesn't improve by going outside and exercising. And I'm talking about the whole range of mental health conditions. Almost every single person I know and I deal with a lot. I deal with a lot and a lot of them. All of them, virtually, I can't remember one single one that doesn't improve with going outside and physical exercise. So wallahi, it's honestly, it's something that Allah made it like a, a, a sunnah of, or made, Allah made it a nature of human beings. That just to go outside, to get some fresh air, to get yourself out and to exhaust yourself physically, it does so much for your mental health. It does so much for it. And preventative issues, no doubt. You know, wallahi, when you're not eating well, when you're not exercising, when you are not uh, keeping yourself healthy, there's no doubt that this leads to depression and sadness and you know, all kinds of issues. Uh, it leads to anxiety over your image, your body image, you know, like constantly feeling fat and feeling like you're not healthy and you know, worrying about how people look at you and it leads to anxiety. It leads to all kinds of problems. Ibn Rajab said something amazing, rahimahullah ta'ala. He said, if you see a man with a stomach, you should consider like this man has a disability. This person should be considered to be like they have a, like a problem with them. And wallahi, it's, it's so true. Wallahi. And this nasiha for myself. I'm not saying I'm innocent. But nasiha for myself, honestly. That this issue of health is a big thing. I'm not saying about people naturally. Yes, some people find it easy to lose weight. Some people find it hard. But just looking after your health as best you can. Trying to get outdoors a little bit, trying to get some fresh air, trying to get a little bit of sunlight, trying to get, eat a little bit healthy. When you fill your stomach up right to the top, who feels after that, who feels good? Find me a single person who feels good when they fill their stomach to the top. Nobody. You feel good while you're eating it, but once you filled your stomach, every single person you feel horrible. You feel lazy, you feel down, you feel full, you feel fat, all that stuff. For Wallah, this is a nasiha to myself. We really need to take care of our health. We need to take care of our diet. And we need to take care of uh, our yani, physical well-being. Because this body is a ni'mah from Allah. Don't waste this ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I'm worried, yani, I don't want to say to you that I'm good at this. I have good times and bad times. That's why you see me on the video. Sometimes I'm like this big. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like this big. Because I have good days and bad days when it comes to this, as we all do. But wallahi, nasiha to myself and nasiha to all of you is that look after your health, look after your diet, and don't ever look down upon the value of just even taking a walk outside in fresh air. Wallahi, especially among the young kids, a lot of what they want to spend their time with is haram, right? Like, for example, they want to spend their time watching haram or have video games and phones and all that stuff, just wasting time. Wallahi, just go out and spend some time in, you know, in nature. 
And wallahi, subhanallah, you barely, subhanallah, maybe you don't even see something haram in the whole time. And if you go out into the middle of somewhere where people don't go, the middle of a, you know, for example, a park or the middle of a, and we go sometimes out into the ocean on a boat or we go, you know, to like some place where like a part of the beach where nobody goes, like a, or you go hiking in the hills, you might not even see another person. But wallah, you come back feeling so good and much better for yourself. So don't, I mean, everything is in moderation, but don't neglect the benefit of looking after your health. And that's a nasiha to myself, so nobody says, yeah, Muhammad Tim, this is nifaqun uh, amali. This is your hypocrisy coming out here. We say this is a nasiha to myself and a nasiha to all of you. Now, we have one time, time for one more, well, I would say five more questions, but the way I answer questions, we have time for one more question. Walaikum salam, salam. I have a question. Uh, what would you Could you explain to me what the, if you, if you know the answer, what the cause of it is? Experience mm. and like the like factors from society that pressures them to either get married or to like chase the dream of like money and say, Oh, you can get settled and you get older. No doubt. That's a very good question. So someone who has a doubt about getting married, and the cause of their doubt is maybe other people's experience. You know what that's why well when people talk about marriage, Ajib. People, how they live in their married life is different. But when, they, when the brothers get together and talk about marriage, <laughs> and it's ajab, and it's ajab and ajab, and like you'll be so amazed. Some will give you the worst possible scenario. Ya akhi, wallahi, irham nafsak. Be merciful on yourself. What, do not get married. Why are you doing this? And you know some of the brothers who are married, and they're looking at the brothers who are not married, and they're like, ya akhi, I feel you know, good jealousy about you, I wish for the day. And then the other brother, is, they will tell you like marriage is, nothing bad ever happens. Like he will tell you like you are married to, uh, from the Hurl'in. Oh, this you married, you need to get married. And reality is that neither of them is really helping you. There are two things you need to think about. The first thing is the Prophet ﷺ said, Or group of young men, whoever of you is financially able, get married. So that's the advice of the Prophet ﷺ. I don't need the brother's experience or the good or the bad. Prophet ﷺ said to get married, get married. That's the end of it. He also told you if you can't get married, So now you have to fast. So this issue of getting married, the second thing you need to remember is the purposes of getting married. From among the purposes of getting married is to preserve a person's chastity and for a person to keep away from the haram. So a young guy who finds himself falling into the haram needs to get married. It's not an option about what might happen or not happen and will it be good or will, what about my father had a bad experience or my uncle had a bad experience. And if you're falling into haram, Whatever you cannot fulfill an obligation with except by doing it is an obligation. Therefore, you have to get married. But now the question is, how do you avoid the pitfalls and maximize the benefits? And this is by seeking knowledge of Islam properly and by applying it in your search for marriage. Seeking knowledge properly. So for example, how to choose a good spouse. What is the qualities of a good spouse? 
Because wallahi, like you speak to people or you hear all kinds of advice. When the brothers get together, oh, you should marry a woman from this country there, or they should marry a woman like this, or you need to marry a woman like this, you should marry someone older, you should marry someone younger, you should marry someone the same, or everything you hear, every single piece of advice. And most of it, don't follow what you don't have knowledge of. Get knowledge of what the Prophet said, who to marry, the characteristics you should be looking for. And implement that. Some brothers and sisters, but some brothers, I'm gonna talk about the brothers because I don't know what the sisters talk about when they talk about marriage. But the brothers, what they talk about, they put a condition upon this sister. This condition, you can only find it in the Hurul Ain. About beauty, about this, about this, about her life. She's never been out of the house and she's never seen another man and she's never, and she's the most, you know, she's the most beautiful woman on the whole earth. And, 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 and she's the same nationality my parents want. And, 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 and they put shurut, yani, maybe nobody exists with this description. So they should instead look at what's important in Islam the deen, the character, her nature. Is she caring and loving? They look at these issues and then they look at Jamal beauty because beauty is mu'tabar in Islam. It, has an, it is important. But ultimately, they put things in priority and they look at compatibility. Because how many times they look at one thing, they look at beauty, and what do they find? They find she's the most beautiful woman in the world until she opens her mouth. And then Allah al-Musta'an, it's like he doesn't even want to know her. Because the character is not there. The personality is not there. There's no compatibility between them. For this is important. A person looks at the deen, looks at character. Yes, they look at beauty in the sense they'll be satisfied with the person. And they look at compatibility. And the evidence for this is the statement of Allah That Allah has created for you spouses so that you may live together in a way that is tranquil. And here, teskun means as-sakanu ma'aha was-sakina ma'aha. It means that you live with her and you find tranquility with her. And that can only happen with compatibility. So someone is looking at beauty, looking at family, but he's not looking, is this, does this girl match my compatibility and what I want from life, what my plans are, what I like to do in my spare time, do we match? Doesn't have to be identical, but does it go together? Or is it the case that you want to travel the world and she doesn't want to leave her home city and you want to have a football team of kids and she doesn't want to have any and so on and so forth. So this is going to create problems in the marriage. Rather, I believe someone who follows the Quran and the Sunnah in looking for a spouse and someone who really learns how to do it and really follows it properly, I don't believe that person will have any major issues in their marriage, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. But more than that, you can't survive without getting married and you cannot keep away from haram and you can't, even more so in this time, you cannot keep away from haram. So a person has to look at the right time and the right situation. As for the issue of money, I actually think the issue of money is it has a role to play, but it's not as big as people say it is. Like some people are like, if you don't have your own house and you don't have your own, you know, like your own business and you don't have, you know, this much money in the bank account. I, to be honest, I mean, a woman who wants this from you, dare I say that she might not be worth it. 
She might not be. Yani she, you know, at the end of the day, like you see these people, they give a mahar $50,000. They gave a mahar. The first time he argues with you, it's like smashing your Ferrari in the, into a brick wall. Yani he's like, I just spent $50,000 on this woman. And now she's arguing with me. Yani make the mahar easy. Make life easy. Make marriage easy. So this means that he will not get angry with her and she will not get angry with him. Did you have a ta'aliq from the sister's side? You had a question or a... One minute to go. One minute to go. Okay, In that case, inshallah, that's what Allah Azawajal made easy for me to mention. Allah knows best. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.